This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where Seminole fans can rest easy knowing their beloved team will not lose a football game this weekend. Today on Sunrise, the No Roads to Ruin Coalition launches a campaign to kill the plan to build three new toll roads through Florida. A South Florida lawmaker wants to change the law that says you have to lock up your guns or use trigger guards if there's anyone in the home under the age of 16. She wants to raise that to 18. Just in time for the Super Bowl in South Florida, the governor announces a Python Bowl will be part of the festivities. Ron DeSantis is also putting the final touches on his education agenda, which will be released as early as next week. Mom and pop pharmacies in Florida say they're being driven out of business by PBMs, and they want lawmakers to balance the scales ASAP. We'll also have your calendar of events and check out a couple of Florida man stories that are actually uplifting for a change. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, December 6th the day before the day of infamy. They know it's a long shot, but 56 different groups in Florida have united to fight the state legislature's plan to build three new toll roads through more than 300 miles of rural Florida. The project is called MCORs, Multi-Use Corridors of Regional Economic Significance. And Ryan Smart with the Florida Springs Council says it's wrong in so many ways. There is no doubt that if built, these roads will be disastrous for our wildlife, negative impact our water quality, and exacerbate climate change and sea level rise. But this campaign is about so much more than just our environment. It's about protecting a rural lifestyle, supporting local businesses, and ensuring that citizens and local governments have a real say in how their communities change. While the Florida legislature may think that highway interchanges, fast food chains, and suburban sprawl equals progress, the communities in the path of these roads have different values and must be heard. Those new roads are supposed to bring economic development to rural Florida, but Michelle Arsenault of Jefferson County says they've heard that before. This road is being sold to us as something that will revitalize rural communities. In Jefferson County, we have I-10 that was built in the 70s and closed several businesses in our town. And um, we are just now recovering from that in the past five to seven years. That's an east-west road, I-10. It didn't bring economic development to us. It brought fast food, gas stations, and now we're talking about a north-south road that does the same thing. This would be absolutely devastating to our downtown community, our downtown businesses. Former Wakulla County Commissioner Howard Kessler with Physicians for Social Responsibility says it's not just the environment that will suffer, it's the people who live along the new road corridors. These roads will accelerate climate change and warming. These roads will add pollutants to our air and water. These roads will stress our already limited water resources. But more importantly, if there is more important than that, is that these roads will stress our health. They will harm us. They will increase pollution, and pollution not only harms the environment and the health of our plants and, and critters, but pollutants harm us, harms our children and our future generations. Air pollution has clearly been shown to increase the incidence of asthma, which not only can harm us, but can kill us. These roads to ruin encourage sprawl. Sprawl is the type of growth development that has been often compared to the growth of cancer. These roads will harm Florida's health. These roads to ruin will further degrade our environment and result in more illness. Sarah Gledhill with the Center for Biological Diversity says wildlife will also pay a steep price if those roads are built. These toll roads 
and the sprawl that comes with them will be disastrous for some of Florida's most imperiled animals. The toll roads will be the death knell for iconic species like the Florida panther and the Florida black bear. Loss of habitat and vehicle collisions are leading causes of wildlife decline. With less than 250 Florida panthers left, the task is upon us here in Florida today to ensure the toll roads do not fuel the extinction crisis. There are also concerns about how we got here in the first place. Trish Neely with the League of Women Voters says the MCORS bill makes a mockery of transportation planning because it was driven by a handful of powerful lawmakers, and some of them have a financial stake in the projects. The three new regional transportation corridors will impact 350 miles of some of Florida's best natural and agricultural land. It will destroy native habitats and thousands of acres of wetlands that filter our drinking water. These new tolled roads will lead to sprawling development, which is bad for rural communities who are not set up for that sprawl. Now there is a real need to repair existing roads and replace our crumbling infrastructure throughout the state. And we ask why, why was this project so important? We understand these roads were not even included in the Florida Department of Transportation's five-year plans. Instead, they were put forward by the legislature, a legislature where several lawmakers own property that will be acquired in order to build these roads. This is not how our government should work. The No Roads to Ruin Coalition is hoping to stop MCORS before it gets started, but that will not be easy. At the same time they were announcing their campaign, state officials were meeting with road builders, the Florida Chamber of Commerce, and other special interests who insist these roads are the key to Florida's future. When you hear those claims, remember one thing, they're in it for the money and they won't have to live anywhere near those roads or deal with the aftermath once they're built. Representative Tina Polsky of Boca Raton files a bill for the upcoming legislative session requiring firearm owners to store their weapons in a safe or with a trigger lock whenever there's a minor in the home who could get hold of the weapon. Polsky says there are more than 4.5 million children in this country who live in homes with unsecured guns, and eight children are unintentionally injured or killed by a gun every day. Here in Florida, on average, a child is shot every 17 hours. Florida already has a safe storage law for firearms, but it only applies to kids under the age of 16. Polsky's bill would raise that to 18. Governor Ron DeSantis has already unveiled his plans to spend almost a billion dollars next year to increase the minimum salary of Florida teachers and set up a new bonus program for teachers and principals. But there is more to come on his education agenda. Yeah, we're definitely going to do more education stuff. So the announcements for us will be more geared towards curriculum. Um, you know, we are going to do the um, replacement for Common Core. So that's been done and worked on and Richard's done a good job on that so we'll unveil that. We'll do some more stuff on civics. We got some good announcements there um, and then uh, we're looking to do more on the uh, on the vocational uh, training uh, front. Um, as you've seen there's been some good stuff going on in Florida. Miami-Dade has a pre-apprenticeship program so you actually are graduating these students 
and a lot of them will still go to college, but they'll have a, a certification in HVAC or electrical or things like that. I'll tell you, there's there's money to be made in, in that right now, and um, and I think just giving the students the tools and then letting them make the best choice they can is probably uh, a good way to go. So we're, we're going to keep pushing that. The governor could release the rest of his education plans as early as next week when state lawmakers are back in Tallahassee for committee hearings before the start of the legislative session in January. You've heard of the Puppy Bowl, of course. Well, Miami-Dade County will host a Python Bowl as part of the festivities surrounding the Super Bowl, which is taking place at Hard Rock Stadium on February 2nd. There will be rewards for capturing the longest, the heaviest, and the most Burmese pythons. The event begins January 10th. The formal announcement was made by Governor Ron DeSantis while he stood next to a swamp wearing a suit and tie holding a football made out of python skin. The governor also canceled plans to speak at a climate leadership summit so he could make the announcement about the python bowl. Next up, a conversation with an independent pharmacist who has a problem with PBMs, not to be confused with PBRs. Then again, if you do have to deal with PBMs, you might reach for a lot of PBRs. That's next on Sunrise from Florida Politics. A lot of people give their opinions on politics and not just the talking heads on cable news. Everyone has an opinion. Sometimes a gentleman's wager can be the best way to tell how much someone believes their own spin. That's why you should check out what Predicted is doing. Predict It is like the stock market, but for politics. Instead of buying and selling oil futures, you can buy and sell shares in everything from who the Democratic nominee will be to if the president will be impeached. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Florida's independent pharmacies are slowly being driven out of business, and while much of that is based on the economies of scale, there are other factors that make things worse. Kevin Duane works at the Panama Pharmacy in Jacksonville, which has been in business since 1928, and he says the pharmacy benefit managers are killing the independents. PBMs are nothing more than, uh, kind of think of them like Visa, for example. They, they, they basically... Uh, receive funds from health plans, and then distribute the funds to pharmacies based on the claims that pharmacies have. So, so they're, they're, they're an administrator. They, they, just, they simply administer benefits. But, uh, or I should say that's what they were designed to do. Now what they've done, we've seen, is uh, they've really become a, a, a large black hole in healthcare, and And we really don't know the amount of money that's going into them from the state's coffers is, is enormous, billions. And we don't know how much of that is making it back out, uh, except for the fact that we do know that independent pharmacies are really being squeezed at the same time that these companies are posting you know, record profits every quarter. And how exactly are they squeezing the small pharmacies? So anytime that you have a system that is integrated in their favor, so for example, uh, one of the PBMs, CVS Caremark, uh, and they also own a health insurer, Aetna. And they also own, you know, more than 10,000 pharmacies in CVS pharmacies. So what you see is, uh, in my case, my direct competitor, CVS, is the one who is de facto setting the price that I'm allowed to charge uh, for, for the Medicaid program and the state-administered uh, workers' compensation program and things of that sort. So anytime they can do that, there's a, a perverse incentive there for them, in my opinion, to um, give their competition as much of a disadvantage as they possibly can. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're really being squeezed out. In the past four years, uh, in Florida alone, past four years, it's just about one in six or one in seven 
uh, small business mom and pop pharmacies have gone out of business due to these practices in the past four years. Now, my understanding is that the PBMs were supposed to be part of a cost containment mechanism for the entire industry. Has that worked? In my opinion, no, and and here's why. Uh, PBMs, uh, again, this kind of perverse incentive, um, they make money in many different ways. One of the ways that they make money is by negotiating rebates with pharmaceutical manufacturers, and these rebates are percentage-based rebates the vast majority of the time. So there's no incentive for them to keep drug prices low because the higher the drug price goes, uh, the higher their rebate is because it's based on a percentage of the drug price in most cases. So no, they, they really don't have an incentive to keep drug prices low. And what is it that the small business pharmacies are asking the legislature to do? To have a fair and level playing field. We're not asking for any uh, you know, special exceptions or anything like that. On a fair and level playing field, Floridians will choose us because they know that we provide superior service uh, to our large big box chain counterparts. So all we're asking is for transparency in the way that these you know, uh, dark uh, middlemen behind the curtain operate in the state, uh, and, and fairness. You know, I should be able to participate uh, for example, there's a certain Medicaid program in this state, and mom-and-pop uh, independent pharmacies are, are not allowed uh, to participate in it. Only the big box kind of you know, chain stores are allowed to participate in it. Well, if I'm willing to accept a contract uh, for the same terms that, that, that the big box stores are receiving the contract for, I should be allowed to participate in that plan. It doesn't make any sense why you know, I'm a taxpayer. I help contribute and fund the state Medicaid program, and yet my small business can't help people uh, that live and work in my neighborhood. It, it doesn't make any sense. So we're asking for transparency, and we're just asking for fairness um, in, in those aspects. I think the message that is above all is when we have these things, we have this level playing field, we have fairness within the industry, consumers are the ones who will win because we will be able to provide a higher level of service to them. They will have increased pharmacy choice. You know, a study just came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and what it showed was that when an independent pharmacy goes out of business, the people in that zip code get sicker. They stop taking their medicine, they have more doctor visits, and they have more hospitalizations. And I think that just really speaks to the benefit and the the tremendous asset that small business mom-and-pop pharmacies are to the communities, and we need to work to preserve and protect them before it's too late. Duane is part of a group called SPAR, Small Business Pharmacists Aligned for Reform, and they're asking lawmakers to force PBMs to be more transparent and more accountable. On your calendar of events today, the Florida Board of Medicine meets at 8 a.m. at the Hilton in Altamont Springs. The Florida Commission on Ethics meets at 8.30 in Tallahassee to consider cases from Brooksville and Sarasota County. The Florida Board of Nursing meets at 8.30 at the Mission Inn Resort and Club in Lake County. The Florida Commission on Access to Civil Justice meets at 12.30 in Tallahassee's Hotel Duval. The commission tries to help low- and moderate-income people get access to the civil court system. Trustees at Florida Atlantic University will be meeting at 1 o'clock at FAU's campus in Boca Raton. And on Saturday, Donald Trump will be the keynote speaker at the Republican Party of Florida Statesman's Dinner in Miami. It is closed to the press, and the party says tickets have sold out. Finally, it's time to wrap up our daily festival of news and views with the latest adventures of Florida Man, who sometimes wears a poopy diaper and sometimes makes you proud. 
A nine-month-old Florida baby helps her parents get payback on a porch pirate. Charlie Salip of Tampa says a couple of deliveries went missing, so they installed a camera and filled a decoy box with her child's dirty diapers that were about three days old. It only took about two hours for someone to race up and swipe the decoy package. Now, funny thing here, it turns out the original packages were not stolen. They were simply delivered to the wrong address. But still, the booby trap worked, and somewhere in Tampa, there's a porch pirate who learned package theft can be a stinky business. And a Florida man is just a shadow of his former self after losing 160 pounds over the past year. 28-year-old Christian Montillo Kissimmee used to weigh more than 350 pounds. He grew up in a military family, wanted to be a soldier, but could not meet the weight limit. Well, after a year of healthy eating, ditching soda, and working out every day, he's been accepted in the Army and is headed for boot camp next month in South Carolina to specialize in satellite communication systems. Well done, Florida man. Well done. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again on Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.